folks from all across the nations of the world today. And what a joy uh, to be in the house of the Lord. And so today I'm excited because we're going to begin a brand new series together entitled Relationships Rule. And uh, so this is the month of February. And of course, uh, just for all you guys out there, let me help you out today. Let me be the best pastor I can be today. A week from tomorrow is Valentine's Day. A week from tomorrow is Valentine's Day. So that means you need to get a car, you need to get candy, you need to get flowers, you need to get something, okay? Uh, Because uh, even though she tells you you don't have to get her anything, she's lying. Okay? I know she's going to say, oh, don't worry about it. She's lying to you guys. I'm your pastor. Listen to me. Okay? Get her something, okay? And then you can thank me later, all right? So a week from tomorrow is Valentine's Day. Years ago, the Lord spoke to me. I was praying, and uh, we're always, of course, praying and thinking about, Lord, what do you want us to be speaking on and sharing on? And several years ago, the Lord spoke this to me. He said, Keith, he said, you need to be preaching about what people are thinking about. You need to be preaching about what people are thinking about. In the month of February, of course, with Valentine's Day, is kind of that month where the world is kind of thinking about love and thinking about relationships. And so we're going to begin a series today entitled Relationships Rule because we live in a world where the culture has created a distorted idea and image of what love and relationships is really all about. And so I thought, what what greater place to go to than the Word of God and for us to go to Scripture and allow God to really help us build healthy, what we're going to talk about, life-giving relationships that really do empower us to live the life that God has called us to live. So if you're a note-taker or you're using our Liberty Church app with our notes, and if you look at that first point on your outline, the quality of your life, I want you to hear this simple statement, the quality of your life is greatly determined by the quality of your relationships. The quality of your life will be greatly determined by the quality of your relationships. And you already know that to be true. You know that your relationships really do bring life and sometimes they bring death. But the realization is the quality of your life is very much determined by the quality of the relationships that you have. And when I'm talking about relationships today, I'm not just talking about romantic relationships. I'm not just talking about dating relationships or marriage relationships. I'm talking about relationships in general our friendships, our relationships with our co-workers, our relationships with people in church, because your life is made up of relationships. And if you are not happy with the quality of your life, you probably need to raise the bar on the quality of your relationships. So relationships really do rule when it comes to how we live and experience life. Look at that next point. Just another thought. I want to drive that home just a little bit more. Our greatest joys and our greatest sorrows are connected to relationships. When you think about the greatest joy in your life, the greatest joys in your life, automatically, when I think about some of the greatest joys in your life, automatically you're going to think about people's faces. You're going to think about relationships because it was that moment when something happened, something exciting happened, something awesome happened. And you can be sure of this, the celebration of that thing in your life is usually 99% of the time connected to relationships. I was just kind of thinking back to some of the victories that I've had in my life. And I I went all the way back to the 10th 
10th grade. Anybody remember being in 10th grade? Anybody in the 10th grade in here today? We probably maybe have some 10th graders in the house today. Here's what I want you to know. I was thinking about being in the 10th grade. I was playing basketball, and, and it was an amazing year. And, and I remember we were undefeated. We were the county champs. We were the area champs. I scored a triple-double the last game of the season. I mean, I triple in every. It was amazing. It was awesome. But you know what? When I think back on that victory, and I think back on that victorious year, it's all connected to relationships. I was a part of a team, and there were these guys, these other guys, my friends, my, my comrades, and we were celebrating together because here's what I know. You can have an amazing victory in life, and if you don't have somebody to celebrate with you, it's kind of short-lived. But here I am now, just turned 50 years old in December, and I can still celebrate a victory that happened in the 10th grade because that celebration of victory was not something I happened by myself. But man, there were people and relationships that are connected to it. Now, if you flip the coin, and we don't want to dwell here too long because I don't want you going home depressed from church today, some of the greatest sorrows in your life can be directly connected to relationships. The loss of a loved one, maybe a divorce, maybe a friendship that went south, maybe what you thought was going to be a forever relationship became a temporal relationship, and maybe it was betrayal, maybe it was rejection, maybe somebody that you thought was in your corner ended up stabbing you in the back, and you can recognize pretty quickly that your greatest joys and your greatest sorrows are connected to relationships. And if you look at the rest of that little statement there, we understand something also that's true. Every relationship in your life, every relationship in your life is either an asset or a liability. Either it's adding value to your life or it is taking value away. It is making you better or it's making you worse. And you can be, you can be sure that every relationship is an asset or a liability. Let's just think about it for just a second. The realization is there are some people in your life that when you get around them, man, you look forward to hanging out with that person. You look forward to being in the same room with that person because, man, you get together and they build you up and they encourage you and you're fired up and you're excited and you walk out of that time together with that person and it is amazing. You feel like you can conquer the world. You feel like there's nothing that you can't do because you just spent some time with a powerful relationship that's an asset in your life. And then you flip the coin and you can be sure of this too. There are some liabilities in your life also there are some people that when you get in the room with them, literally, you can hear the vacuum cleaner sound. I mean, they just start sucking the life out of the room. And you're like, five minutes later, you walk out of that room, you're like, oh my God, I don't think I could have handled one more minute. Could they be more negative? See, we all have relationships. Every relationship in your life is either an asset or else it is a liability. It's adding to or taking away from who you are. So if relationships rule, then what are the rules for relationships? Well, I'm glad you asked. That's a great question. Y'all are geniuses, by the way. So if relationships rule, what are the rules of relationship? Well, we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 4. And we're going to look at what's going to be our foundational scripture for this study. And, and it's kind of an unusual scripture because it's not what we would normally look to in scripture for a relationship scripture. It's not a love relationship. It's not a love scripture. It, it really is interesting scripture because in Ephesians 4, we're actually getting a biblical definition of what it means to have a, a life-giving church. 
But about three weeks ago in my quiet time as I was praying, the Holy Spirit quickened this scripture in my heart. And he said, Keith, this is going to be your next series because this is what he showed me. He said the the ingredients that are required for a life-giving church are also the ingredients that make up healthy, godly, life-giving relationships. So today we're going to kind of look at God's standard and see what Paul says here in Ephesians 4 under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Verse 10, he says, And the same one, speaking of Jesus, who descended is the one who also ascended higher than all the heavens, so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. That's a great scripture right there. Verse 11. It says, Now these are the gifts that Christ gave to the church, the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher. And their responsibility, look at verse 12, is to equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. Let me just pause for just a second. Let me give you a little free information here this morning. The job and responsibility of the pastor and the church leaders is not to do the ministry. It's actually to equip the church to do the work of the ministry. My job is to help you do your job. Right, That old school mentality that the pastor does the ministry and everybody else just comes to church is a lie from the pit of hell. God has called the church and spiritual leaders not to do all the ministry, but to equip the church to do ministry. And that's all free. God bless you. Here you go. All right. I just couldn't pass that verse up. It was too good. Verse 13, his Bible says, And this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. And then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. How many know when it comes to relationships, there are a lot of lies that are so clever that they sound like truth? How many know that in our world of social media, everybody has an opinion and an idea about what it takes to have a good relationship but we don't need lies so clever they sound like truth we actually need truth come on somebody Look at the next verse, So verse 15, so instead we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. Verse 16, this is where we're going. It says, and he again, Jesus, God, makes the whole body fit together perfectly as every part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. So look at that next point on your outline. Healthy, growing, and full of love are the results of a life-giving church. When the body of Christ is doing what the body of Christ is supposed to do, guess what will happen? The church will be healthy, it'll be growing, and it'll be full of love. That's why we say at Liberty Church, we're never going to stop growing, we're never going to stop reaching, we're never going to stop planting campuses. Why? Because if you're a life-giving church, you're healthy, you're growing, and you're what? Full of love. But guess what? Not only is healthy, growing, and full of love the results of a life-giving church, but I also believe that they are the rules for life-giving relationships. And when we measure our relationships by these standards, we are able to discern what each relationship requires to be life-giving. I brought me a little ruler today to church. And and rulers are important, right? Because all of a sudden we realize that 12 inches makes a what? And and, and, uh, three feet make a what? And that's as far as I'm going to go. 
But you know what? When you think about life, when you think about, when you think about measurements, when you think about economics, when you think about uh, uh, engineering, you think about any aspect of life, and you know what's required for you to be able to do a job effectively? There needs to be a standard. There needs to be a standard so that 12 inches for me is 12 inches for you, so that three foot for me is three foot for you, so that we can actually begin to work together in a way that is conducive to producing the result that God intended us to have. And so today, what we're going to do, we're going to begin a three-week journey where we're going to look at some spiritual standards. We're going to look at three things from the Word of God that help to produce life-giving relationships. And why is this important? Because once you get a standard, now you can begin to measure your relationships. Now you can begin to discern, is this relationship a life-giving relationship? Is it healthy? Is it growing? Is it full of love? And the moment you have an ability to measure a relationship, the moment you have the ability now to begin to invest in that relationship, what is required for it to work? Let me give you just a little thought this morning. All relationships require work. All relationships require work. Anybody in here been married more than 10 years? Anybody in here been married more than 20 years? 30 years? 40 years? 50 years? 55? 53? 52? We got a winner right back here. Let's give Curtis and Diane Snyder a great big round of applause. How long were y'all? 50, so we got a double whammy right there. Come on, let's give them a round of applause. Hey, if you're in the same room with two couples that have been married for 52 years, you're in a good church. Come on, somebody. You're in a good place. You need to hang out and talk with those folks. You ought to buy them dinner, by the way. Because let me tell you what I know for them with 52 years. Kelly and I have been married 31 years. After 31 years, our marriage and our relationship still requires work. But not just marriage relationship, friendships require work. Co-worker relationships require work. Christian brothers and sister relationships require work. Every relationship that you have requires work. I want to give you three thoughts that are required for you to work on your relationships. These come from John chapter 15. They're not in your notes. If you want to go home and read John 15, Jesus tells us something. He says, he says I'm the vine and you're the branches. And he said, my, God, my father God is a gardener. How many know God knows how to garden? Come on, somebody. He knows how to grow some things. So here's three things I want you to think about when you think about working on your relationships. Once you have a standard of what you know it's supposed to look like and be like, what God's called it to be, now you can begin to effectively invest in that relationship. So let me give you three things that needs to happen. Number one, every relationship needs some pruning. Every relationship needs some pruning. you got to begin to cut some things back. Let me tell you why. Because what worked the first year of your relationship may not work the fifth year of your relationship. Right? What worked when Kelly and I got married didn't work when Kelly and I had kids. And what worked when we had kids and they were babies didn't work when they were teenagers. And what worked when they were teenagers didn't work when they were going to college. And what worked when they were going to college didn't work when they got married. And it didn't work when we had grandbabies. And so all of a sudden we recognize that every season of our life requires a pruning. we got to cut away some things. What used to be life-giving doesn't give life anymore. What used to be exciting is not exciting anymore. What used to be fun is not fun anymore. And so if we're going to have a healthy relationship, we've got to prune. We've got to be willing to consistently look at that relationship and say, hey, there may be some things I need to cut back. There may be some things that we need to change. We need to cut away so we can make room for new life 
in that relationship. And again, not just marriage, friendships, relationships. How I many you know they evolve over time? And if you're going to continue to cultivate a life-giving relationship with your coworkers, with your best friend, with Christian family, and, and brothers and sisters in Christ, you're going to have to say, you know what? We've got to be willing to prune some things. But not only do our relationships need to be pruned, they need to be fertilized. They need to be fertilized. You've got to add some nutrients to the soil. I'm amazed at how many married couples, I'm going to pick on married couples a little bit today, I'm amazed at how many married couples do not invest in their marriage. Joe and Janet Garland, they attend our 8 o'clock service. Years ago, Joe told me this. He said, Pastor Keith, we're not going to be at church next Sunday. Uh, he said, we're going off for a little M&M weekend. I said, M&M weekend, what is that? Y'all want to eat some candy? What are you doing? He said, no, M&M, that's our marriage maintenance weekend. He said, we're going to get away so we can invest in our marriage. We're going to get away from the kids and get away from work and get away from all the busyness of life. And we're just going to take a little weekend every so often because we need some marriage maintenance. Let me just tell you something. You need a little M&M. You need some M&M. You need some marriage maintenance. You need some relationship maintenance in every relationship that you have. You've got to fertilize it. You've got to put nutrients. You know why? Because if you're not careful, you'll deplete the ground. You'll deplete the ground. You'll just withdraw, and you'll just withdraw, and you'll just withdraw, and you'll just withdraw, and you'll just withdraw. And you'll expect that relationship to keep giving you life and giving you life and giving you life. And that explains why people after 10 years of marriage look at each other and say, I don't love you anymore. How does that happen? How does those people that 10 years earlier, you couldn't keep them apart, they had all them ooey-gooey eyes looking at each other? Talking, texting all the time. I mean, it almost made you sick to be around them. And now, 10 years later, they're like, I don't even love you anymore. I don't even know why we got married. The realization is simply this. If you keep withdrawing and you don't add fertilizer, you don't reinvest nutrients into that relationship, it will wither and die. The best relationship without fertilizer will be depleted. And last but not least, and this doesn't apply to every relationship, but it does apply to some relationships. Some relationships need to be purged out of your life. Some relationships are ungodly, unholy, and they're toxic. And you need to cut the cord. <laughs> and you need to move on. Now, let me just be really clear. If you're married, I'm not talking to you. You hear me online? If you're married, I'm not talking to you. If you're married, stay married. Figure it out. We got counseling here at Liberty Church. We'll help you. Come on. We can prune and we can fertilize. Don't purge your marriage. But there are some relationships that you need to purge. There are some relationships that are ungodly, unholy, and they're toxic. And you need to just cut it off, and you need to begin to move forward into what God has. That doesn't make them a bad person, doesn't make you a bad person. It just means together it's not good. Together it's not God. Together it's not healthy. And so I want to challenge you to think about your relationships because every relationship needs to be pruned. Every relationship needs to be fertilized. And some relationships need to be purged from your life. So look at that next point. So what does it mean for a relationship to be healthy? I want to give you three signs today. Three signs of a healthy relationship. Three ways you can measure the relationships in your line. The first sign of a healthy relationship is trust. It's trust. Despite what our culture tells us, love is not the foundation stone of a healthy relationship. Trust is. Love's important. We're going to devote a whole week talking about love. But I'm just going to tell you, the foundation stone of healthy relationships is not love. It is 
trust. Trust is the foundation stone. As a matter of fact, I want you to consider something. Have you ever considered that you can't even have a relationship with God without trust? God loves you, but without trust, you can't enter into a relationship with God. Look with me in Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 12 and 13 says, God's purpose was that we Jews, Paul speaking here, said was that we Jews who were the first to trust in Christ would bring praise and glory to God. And now that you Gentiles, that's me and you, have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you, and that when, and when you believe, literally it means trusted in. When you trusted in Christ, when you believed in Him, when you put your trust in Christ, look what happened. He identified you as His own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom He promised long ago. It is your faith, your trust, your confidence in Christ that He is who He says He is and He'll do what He said He would do that brings salvation and allows you to enter into a relationship with God. Until you trust Christ as your Lord and Savior, guess what? God loves you, but there's no relationship. Think about that. Until you trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior, God loves you died for you, wants to bless you, wants to save you, wants to heal you, wants to deliver you, but there's no relationship without trust. Look at that next point on your outline. If I can't trust you, if you can't trust me, think about this, if we can't trust each other, then our relationship is limited to shallow ground. It's not that we can't be, quote, friends. It's not that we can't work together. It's not that we can't go church together. It just simply means, hey, if I can't trust you and you can't trust me, we're going to have a very shallow relationship. Why? Because trust is the foundation stone. Trust is the foundation stone. I can love you from a distance, right? But I can't be in a life-giving relationship with you without trust. Because an untrustworthy person, think about this, consistently wounds the soul. An untrustworthy person consistently wounds the soul. Some of you right now have consistently and continually been hurt by the same person over and over and over and over and over again because you're in a relationship with an untrustworthy person. Here's the problem. When you love people, you want to trust people, right? When you love people, you want to trust people. The people I love, and I love people easily. The moment I meet you, I just love you. I love you because the love of God's in me, and the love of God's been poured out in our heart by the Holy Spirit, and I automatically just love people. It comes very natural to me. I love people. And I'll tell you that pretty quick. But here's the realization. When you love people, you want to trust people. And, and the challenge that happens is that if you're not careful, you will allow, listen to me, all you, all you singles out there, if you're a young, young person, single person, I want you to hear me. This is why it is so important that you don't give your heart away until you allow time for you to actually get to know the person that you're going into a relationship with. Because let me tell you what happens. The moment you get emotionally invested, it becomes difficult, not impossible, but it becomes difficult for you to spiritually discern that relationship. Because you get blinded by what? Love. Oh, they're just so wonderful. Well, not really. (laughs) 
don't you remember they lied to you last week? And don't you remember the week before that they said they were going to do something and they didn't do what they said they were going to do and they made up an excuse that you found out really was a lie? They said they were here, but they were really not there. They were somewhere else. They said they were by themselves, but they were really with somebody else. You might love them, but they're not all that. And, and the moment you give your heart away, it becomes more difficult to spiritually discern relationships. And we've all seen it in our friends, right? Isn't it amazing? We see it in our friends. Hard to see it in ourselves. We see it in our friends. We're like, yeah, that's not a good relationship. He's not doing you right. She's not treating you right. Well, you just don't know them. No problem is we probably do know them and you just can't see them because you gave your heart away. So we understand the foundation stone of trust, of love, the foundation stone of relationships is not love. It is trust. There's, there's a great little scripture in Proverbs that talks about what happens when we open our hearts to untrustworthy people. Look what it says, verse 18. It says, telling lies about another person. And we could even reframe that and say telling lies to a person. Telling lies about another person is as harmful as hitting them with an axe, wounding them with a sword, or shooting them with an arrow. If I can't trust you to tell the truth, Then all of a sudden, I need to recognize, hey, I can love you from a distance, but we're going to have a pretty shallow relationship. Because if I open my heart to an untrustworthy person, guess what's going to happen? Let me just reread it again. It's like hitting them with an axe, wounding them with a sword, and shooting them with a sharp arrow. Verse 19, putting confidence in a unreliable, untrustworthy person in times of trouble is like chewing with a broken tooth or walking on a lame foot. Let me just say this. I'm going to move on real quick to the second point. We, we understand, I believe we all understand that when you enter into a relationship, every relationship begins with an element of trust that has to be given by faith, right? So I don't know you, so the only way for me to get to know you is I've got to trust you enough to begin a relationship, i got to trust you enough to begin to talk to you and get to know you and interchange with you and interact with you. And so all relationships begin with a level of trust that begins by faith. I just trust you because, hey, I think I want to get to know you. But the moment that person proves themselves to be untrustworthy, and I'm not talking just one mistake. I'm not talking about an occasional blurb. I'm talking about there is a consistency of inconsistency. The moment that person shows that they are untrustworthy, then I've got to begin to step back. Again, not that they're a bad person, but this is probably not the kind of relationship I really want to give my heart to because I'm going to end up getting hurt over and over again. What I love about the Word of God is God in His mercy tries to protect us from relationships that could ultimately harm us. Isn't He a good Father? Look at the second sign of a healthy relationship. The second sign of a healthy relationship is authenticity. It, it is the ability to be yourself and not fear being judged. It's authenticity. It's the ability to be yourself and not fear being judged. Genesis 2 verse 25 is a scripture Kelly and I use in marriage counseling all the time. I love this scripture. It's Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. The Bible says, and they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. Now, I'm not advocating nudity. Y'all with me? 
Wear your clothes before you come to church. Come on, Jesus. But there's a principle there. They were naked and not ashamed. There was an authenticity. There was an ability for them to be who they were and not fear being judged. You know who some of your favorite relationships are? They're the people that you can be yourself around. Right? They're the people that you can be yourself around. Because if you're always having to pretend to be something you're not, that relationship really isn't healthy. Now, there's nothing wrong with putting your best foot forward when you go into a relationship, right? We all want to make a good first impression, and there's nothing wrong with that. But the realization is somewhere pretty quickly, uh, we better make sure our best foot is the real foot. (laughs) This is really who I am, and I want you to see me for who I am because I need to be in the kind of relationships where there's an authenticity that allows me to be who I am and not fear being judged. Now, let me tell you what this is not. This is not condoning sin. This is not condoning ungodly behaviors, right? So we're not talking about, hey, you can just do whatever you want to do, and and I'm just going to let you be. No, if you're doing things that are wrong and sinful, I'm going to confront you on it because that's what real relationships do. But it's just talking about being in a relationship where there's enough authenticity where I can be who I am so that I can become who God has called me. Look at that next point. This is huge. So authenticity creates a safe place for us to grow and become what God has called us to be. Consider this. Unless you are honest with God about who you are, even God can't change you. See, when you come to God, you got to be real. If you come to God pretending to be more holy than you really are, then guess what? You'll stay right where you are and you'll never be changed. See, God can't transform the pretend you. God can only transform the real you. See, for you to have a a life-giving relationship with God, there's got to be an authenticity, right? You can't put on airs with God. We all come to church, we all try to look really holy, and we're good at it. But at the end of the day, it's when I get real with God and I'm authentic with Him and this is who I am and where I'm at may not be where I want to stay, may not be who I want to be, but God, this is where I am. All of a sudden, God can work with that. And those are the best kind of relationships. Those are healthy relationships in the natural when we have people in our lives that we can just be real with. And I don't have to pretend to be okay. Right? We're really good at pretending to be okay. You go to work, how you doing? I'm fine. Well, you're not really fine. You're falling apart. Your marriage is a shambles, and you're about to file bankruptcy next week, but you're fine. No, you're not. You need some safe places, and that's not social media. Keep it face-to-face, not thumb-to-thumb. Amen. Thank you, John Wesley. So we need a safe place, and that's what authenticity does. It it creates that safe place for us to become who God has called us to be. In Matthew 25, Jesus, excuse me, Matthew 23, Jesus rebukes the scribes and Pharisees for what he calls hypocrisy. The word hypocrisy literally means to wear a mask, to pretend to be something that you're not. Listen to what he says in Matthew 23. He says, what sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you're filthy. You're full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees, wash first the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will become clean too. What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs. You're beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurities. Out Outwardly, you look like righteous people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. 
There's a little repetitive phrase in there. Did you hear it? Jesus said, what sorrow awaits you? What sorrow awaits you? What sorrow awaits you? Let me tell you one of the sorrows, there's many, of hypocrisy. It's called loneliness. Because when you pretend to be something you're not, even when people accept you, you still don't fit in. Because what they're accepting of you is not really you. It's a portrait of what you think they want you to be, so they'll accept you. And so one of the sorrows of hypocrisy is every time I'm pretending to be something I'm not, even when I'm surrounded by a bunch of people that, quote, accept me for who I am, they don't even know who I am, and I'm still alone. It's amazing how many people I've talked to that will say, Pastor Keith, I can be in a room full of people and feel like I'm the only person there. You know why? Because if I'm having to pretend to be something that I'm not, just to get you to accept me or what I think will make you accept me, I'm going to end up being lonely no matter how much you do accept me. Because there's a separation on the inside of who I am in my heart and who I'm pretending to be in my flesh. Let's look at the third one. The third, third sign of a healthy relationship is honor. Authenticity covers our vulnerability, but it's honor that celebrates our diversity. We are all equal, but we're not the same. Honor is required for healthy relationships because all of a sudden through honor, we can celebrate diversity. We can celebrate. And if you think about the people that you enjoy being around, guess what? You enjoy being around the people that celebrate who you are. Right? They're not trying to fix you in a mold. They're not trying to make you look like them, walk like them, act like them. They actually love you and accept you for who you are. And they celebrate your gifts and your talents and your uniqueness. And they applaud you because you're not like them. You're different from them. Man, and those are the people that we enjoy being around. Those are the people that bring out the best in us. And when you think about honor, how important honor is, it celebrates that diversity. Let me just be honest with you today. You need diversity in your life. You don't need a bunch of people just like you. Now, let me, let me, let me give you some common ground and diverse ground. Common ground, you need people that share your values and your virtues. Because if they don't share your values and your virtues, what you call honesty, they're going to call just, uh, well, twisting the truth. <laughs> It'd be hard to have a relationship with that person because you can't trust them because they don't have the same values and virtues you do. But when it comes to personalities and passions, you need different people in your life. You need different people. As iron sharpens iron, the Bible says, well, man sharpens the countenance of his friend. You need different people. By the grace of God, years ago, God surrounded me with some amazing men. Last Sunday, we celebrated. We burned uh, the mortgage note on this property, $875,000, paid off 17 years early. That deserves another round of applause. And as we were standing around that campfire, that bonfire last Sunday after church, uh, I recognized our three elders, Brother Curtis, Brother Jim, and Brother Forrest. And those three men have been some of the best relationships that I've had in my life. And let me tell you something. We are all different. And we're different. And by the grace of God, early on in the years of Liberty Church, God, God gave me the courage, because it takes courage, to invite diversity into your life. Because, boy, it's really easy to get people around us that tell us what we want to hear. And they see everything just the way we see it. I'm just going to tell you something. If you're surrounded with people that see everything the way you see everything, you're stuck. You're in a rut, and you won't get out until you get a new voice. 
Well, Pastor Keith, isn't that what the Holy Spirit is? Yeah, that's what the Holy Spirit is, and that's also what the church is. Come on. That's what relationships are all about. And those three elders, those mighty men in my life, they all see things different than I see things. They see things I don't see. They, they perceive things I don't perceive. They know things I don't know. And you know what we learned a long time ago? We learned how to honor that in each other. I honor their strengths, they honor my strength. I honor their gifts, they honor my gifts. I honor their vision, they honor my vision. And it has been an amazing journey. And we're just getting started. Because you and I need diversity. But without honor, it will never happen. Honor creates healthy relationships because it allows us to cultivate friendships with people that are not just like us. And it's good. Romans 13, 7 says, Render therefore to all their due. So, so, so the scripture is saying, Give what is due to the people that you owe. Look what it says. He says, Render therefore to what all their due. Taxes to whom taxes are due. That's no fun. Customs to whom customs are due. Fear to whom fear is due. And honor to whom honor is due. I love Proverbs 31. Proverbs 31 talks about the virtuous woman. Look how it describes the virtuous woman. Verse 25, strength and honor are her clothing. She clothes herself with strength and honor. Let me tell you what it means to clothe yourself with honor. Clothing yourself with honor doesn't mean you put on honor and now you're puffed up at how great you are. Clothing yourself with honor means that when you put on honor, now you can celebrate the greatness of God in other people. I'm going to clothe myself in honor, which means I'm going to honor the gift in you, and I'm going to honor the calling on you, and I'm going to honor the grace that's on you, and I'm going to honor you. And all of a sudden, when you clothe yourself with honor, you begin to cultivate this life-giving thing called relationships. Look at that next point. We've got two more points. We're about to wrap up. Honor elevates one another. The word honor literally means to hold in high esteem, to kind of push up, right? I mean, you know, we ought to be pushing each other up. Our uh, Rick, uh, oh my goodness, what's the guy's name? Uh, our God is an awesome God. What's that song? Well, Rich Mullins. Rich Mullins. There we go. Years ago, Rich Mullins was asked a question. Uh, they said, "Do you think the Catholic Church gives too much honor to Mary?" And I loved his answer. He said, "No, I think we give too little honor to everybody else." What if we really honored each other? What if we really highly esteemed people? What if we recognize that every person in our life was created in the image and likeness of God? Not worshiping people, not praying to people, not talking about any of that stuff. We're just talking about giving honor to celebrate the uniqueness of people's lives. Think about this. Honor elevates one another. It places an inherent value. It's a built-in value. It, it places an inherent value upon the relationships. Let, let, me, let me share this. This is, this is important. So when you, if you're in a relationship with somebody and you value the relationship, but they don't, then we would say that would become a one-sided relationship, right? You're investing in it, they're not. You're, 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 you're pruning and you're fertilizing and they're not doing anything. Let me tell you what happens when there's not reciprocal honor. Let me tell you what happens when you're in a relationship and only one person honors that relationship and the other person does it. You know what will happen? It won't take long before the person doing the honor will actually begin to resent the other person. It happens in marriages a lot. It happens in friendships a lot. Well, they just take me for granted. 
I'm always the one calling. I'm always the one making plans. I'm always the one getting us together. I'm always the one remembering the birthdays. I'm always the one kind of scheduling the guys not out. Nobody else does anything. And you know what happens after a little while if you're not careful? If you're not careful, if you don't guard your heart, you know what happens? You'll actually start to resent those relationships. Well, they don't appreciate me. They don't value me. I don't even matter to them. Wives say it about their husbands. Husbands say it about their wives. Parents say it about their kids. And kids say it about their parents. Because honor is a reciprocal thing. And when I give honor and when I receive honor, all of a sudden it creates this relationship that becomes life-giving. Great little scripture, Matthew 13, our last scripture for today. It's the story of Jesus. He's in his hometown. Listen to what the Bible says. It says, and they were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. Talking about Jesus. And then Jesus told them, a prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown and among his own family. Look at verse 58. So he did not. He, so he did only a few miracles there because of their unbelief. Because they didn't honor Jesus, they couldn't receive from him. And think about this. Because they didn't honor Jesus, Jesus couldn't give them everything that he wanted to give them. See, honor is what makes our relationships healthy. Last point, here it is. Let's wrap it all up together. So a healthy relationship, here's the, here's the standard. A healthy relationship is built on trust. It is protected through authenticity. And it thrives through honor. And this little relationship rule of healthy, is this relationship healthy? You know what does? It helps us to prune. It helps us to fertilize. It helps us to purge relationships so they can be the best that God wants them to be. I want you to just bow your heads today. I want to ask you a question this morning. For those of you in the room, those of you watching us online, I want to challenge you today. As I was preaching through this message, this is what I know. This is how good God is. God took the foolishness of my preaching. And he identified a relationship in your life. And you already know there's a relationship. Maybe there's more than one, but there's probably one relationship that popped out in your head through this entire message today that maybe needs some pruning, maybe needs some fertilizing, or maybe needs some purging. <laughs> and I don't have to say anything because you already know what it is. I, I want to challenge you with something today. I want to challenge you, don't, don't let what God challenge to go ahead and grab hold of that and seal it in your heart right now that this is the step I'm going to take. I'm going to do something for today. I'm not going to be a hearer of the Word. I'm going to be a doer of God's Word. The second thing I want to do for everyone in the room, everyone watching online, is simply this. If you're here today and you realize, you know what, Pastor Keith, I've never put my trust in Christ as my Lord and Savior. And even though I know about God, I also know today I really don't today you need to put your trust in 
trust in him, the scripture says that God will then identify you as his own child. He'll adopt you into the family. He'll fill you with his spirit. And he'll begin an amazing thing called a relationship with him. So if you're here this morning and you're watching online, wherever you're at, you say, Pastor Keith, today I want to trust Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I want to begin a relationship with God right now. Just raise your hand all over the building. Just slip your hand up today. I want to accept Christ. I want to trust Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. His hands are going up. Our ushers are going to bring a little packet. We're going to just slip a little something in your hand. We're going to pray together in just a minute. If you're watching online, I want you to hit that hand emoji. I want you to type in that chat box. I'm raising my hand right now because God's speaking to you. We'll follow up with you online. We've got a packet for you also. We want to help you take that next step. If there's anyone else right now in the room, this is your moment. We're about to pray with those who've raised their hand. But if you here today and say, today I want to trust Christ. I want to begin a relationship with God. I want to know Him. This is your moment. With every head bowed, every eye closed, let's just pray this prayer together. I'm asking everybody to say it out loud with me. If you're raising your hand, this is specifically for you. Let's say it together. Here we go, church, out loud. Dear Heavenly Father, I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Rose again. 